Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Today's reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 1 through 5. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom he has the arm of the Lord between been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The words of God. Good morning, everyone. It is good to see you today. If you are visiting with us, I know you can hear me. That was a joke about the volume, everybody. Okay, pity laugh, that's fine. If you're not visiting with us and you're just uh, part of our family, we're so glad that you're with us and um, joining together. We are in the middle of a series where I asked you to tell me what's on your mind. Tell me your questions. Tell me what you're thinking about. And you've given me some really interesting topics so far. We've talked about things like the significance and impact of sin or things like fasting or how to handle unanswered prayers. Talked about how to really work with and support our leaders in local church body. And today, I'm really excited about this question. It's a great question. Somebody texted me and said, can you talk about how the gospel impacts our insecurity? It's a great question, isn't it? I love it for two reasons. One, it's a really relevant question. It's timely. It's honest. It's vulnerable. And it's real, difficult. Everyone experiences some level of insecurity. You may not be aware of it. Maybe you've developed coping mechanisms or just had circumstances in life that made you not really worry much about it. Some of you in here are ravaged by it, can't get your mind off of it, are swallowed up in the experience of living with insecurity. So it's a good question, number one, because it's relevant. Number two, because it's seeking the right answer. When asking, how does the gospel intercept and affect and change our insecurity? How does it actually do that? I love the hope that's born in that question that Jesus actually can have an impact on that because there are people week after week, month after month, year after year that engage in church but have little hope that their lives can be different Monday to Saturday because of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus absolutely can make your life different. But there's a reason. We're going to get there in just a moment. He can make your life better. Absolutely. We're going to get there in just a moment. So I pray that God speaks today to you. I pray that he does some work amongst us. I'm praying that he will liberate people, free people who are enslaved to insecurity. But here's what it's going to take out of you. You've got to participate today. You've got to be engaged. You've got to think. You've got to be active. This is a sermon that has everything to do with boots on the ground, how you're living. You've got to be honest, and you've got to be willing to do some work. But we've got to do some groundwork together before we get to our text. So I'm going to ask you to stay in Isaiah 53. We're going to circle back to the key verses that were read for us here in just a moment. But we've got to lay some groundwork to make sure that we are talking about the same problem of insecurity, that we understand what we're discussing, and then we'll see how Isaiah 53 gets us to an answer. So the first thing we've got to do is reveal what insecurity is. Let's expose it. Let's, let's understand exactly what it is. You know, based upon a person's temperament, their values, their habits, their personality, insecurity can actually express itself in all kinds of different ways. So when I say someone is insecure or so-and-so is an insecure person, you probably may conjure up an image in your mind of what that looks like, but there are actually a few different pictures of what insecurity can look like and oftentimes does look like. It can be that traditional view of somebody who maybe is burdened down with weakness. Maybe they always find themselves in compliance with other people, just doing what everybody else says, or they're timid, and they always take blame for everything. It's their fault. They're always wrong, and they oftentimes are wallflowers. They want to avoid the attention. That can be someone who's burdened with insecurity. But you know there's others that look completely different, that you look at them and they're successful, they look powerful, they look in control, they're bold, they're confident. At times you see them a little bit defiant to rules or regulations. Oftentimes they're never wrong. And they can even be people who demand center stage and want attention. Both of those expressions can actually be born out of what insecurity is. Trying to solve this deep-seated experience of insecurity. So what is it? What is insecurity? Well, first of all, it's this. Insecurity is actually just a form of fear. It's God-given. Insecurity was a gift given to us from God. It is an experience of fear. It's something God gave to us as a warning symbol. So for example, it can actually be a good thing. If you walk out onto a two-story wooden deck and you look down, and that deck is rotted with wood, you should feel insecure, right? You should go, oh man, this is not good. I could fall down if this deck collapses. If you find yourself living or working with a compulsive liar or abuser, you, you can experience real insecurity because of that in your work or in your home life. If you're riding in a military convoy and you are going along a lonely Afghan road, you might experience some insecurity, and that's understandable, that's true, that's good. Or when you find yourself under the initial conviction of sin that you're just becoming aware of, insecurity is the proper reaction. You see, insecurity is actually a warning sign that you are vulnerable, you are in danger, 
and you need to be cautious with what's going on. But that's not really how we use the word insecure today in our modern language. Current language, current idiom, the way that we use insecurity really isn't about fear of experiences and circumstances that come intermittently. We use the word insecure now as a state of being, a state of existence, like I am an insecure person, right? Just continually. Or so-and-so, man, they're just always insecure. We're thinking about now in the form of really constant existence. And what we mean is that person lacks confidence. They're afraid of what people think about them. They feel inferior all the time, and then they express those in their different ways based upon their personality. But the question you have to get back to, if insecurity is a fear reflex, what are we afraid of today? What is modern insecurity afraid of? Well, here's what it is. Modern insecurity is fear about who I am and what I'm worth. The way we live today, people who are insecure, whether you are the loud and proud or the hiding person, whatever way you express this, insecurity is a fear that we all feel about who am I and the person I am, is that worth anything? And that wondering and that fear and that, 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 that um, timidity we feel because of that makes us insecure people. We're revolving around the idea of identity, who I am, and value. What am I worth? And it has everything to do with how we currently in modern culture develop our identity and get our worth. Modern Western American culture builds identity and establishes worth in a way that is socially, psychologically, emotionally, intellectually, physically unhealthy. You build who you are and you determine if you're worth something based solely upon what you produce, what you do, and what people think of you. That's how we do it in our culture today. And so we have really created a swath of people walking around living in a constant state of insecurity, modern insecurity, fear about who they are and what they're worth because of how we've decided to build those things. And it's broken. And it's not working. How do you know who you are? When you say, I am, how do you answer that question? How are you certain about what you're worth if you're valuable that'll tell you a lot about insecurity so let's get secondly to the roots of it let's get into the the, what causes this insecurity first of all comes from suffering our suffering we live in a world that suffers we live in a world that's broken we live in a world that has people who do things that they shouldn't do and we live in a world that has an enemy Not flesh and blood, but spiritual, Satan himself, who wants to harm you. And so we experience in this life all kinds of suffering that gives birth to insecurities. For example, number one, we we suffer from the sin of other people. From the sin of other people. Our sinful world brings harm upon us long before we ever become participants in that very wrong ourselves. We all will eventually participate in this world called sin, in this activity called sin. But before I ever did that, I experienced at the hands of people in this world suffering. Some people experience extreme conditions that shape their insecurities. 
Maybe they grew up under cruel caretakers. Perhaps they suffered sexual or physical or emotional abuse. Maybe they were uncertain about their surroundings, lived in poverty, not sure where the next meal was going to come from, or picked on constantly in their school environment when they were growing up. And in all of those things, in those experiences, those sufferings, people develop a belief about who they are and what they're worth. And born out of that is what's called insecurity. Reminds me so much about um, the, the nation of Israel, really, when we see that being personified. Experiencing suffering at the hands of others has profound impact on how you view yourself. When Moses showed up to liberate the nation of Israel, remember he got called by the burning bush and God's like, I need you to go. And finally, after a little while, Moses says, okay, I'll go. And he goes and he shows up to the nation of Israel. He's like, guys, you've been asking God for many, many years to liberate you from this awful slavery that you're under. I'm here to do it. And Exodus chapter 6 verse 9 says this, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Why? Because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. They couldn't hear what he had to say about the hope that God had for them because they were experiencing suffering at the hands of other people. So the sin of others most certainly can make us develop insecurity, those that have caused us to suffer, but also, it's also the scheme of Satan. Now, we can make too much of Satan, and we can sometimes not talk enough about him. He's real. He exists. He is an adversary. He's against you. And here's what you got to understand about him. He is, at his core, a liar. Satan's superpower is not that he can, like, fly from one place to another, or he can go invisible for a minute. His superpower is not that he can lift your hand and make you do something on the computer, or take your um, eyes and make you look somewhere. He doesn't have superpowers like that. His superpower, Satan's superpower, is deception. His only goal is to get people to believe things about themselves, about God, about others that are not true. That's his purpose. That's his goal. That's what he's trying to accomplish. So he is constantly offering people false beliefs, false conclusions they should make about how other people treat them, about circumstances they go through, about experiences they have. He is constantly lying to you planting seeds of doubt, whispering to you things that are not true, that as you go through experiences, he's telling you things that are not true, and then hopefully he wants us to form false beliefs about ourselves, about God, and about others. I've told you this story before, but I'll tell you again. I was in fifth grade. I remember this is the first time I distinctly remember lying to my friends about my family. I was in fifth grade. My dad was, he worked at Muskingum College at the time, and they were going to outsource the maintenance department where he worked, and so he lost his job. It's a very normal thing to do, and that summer that he lost his job, I mean, he got a job in the next couple months. It was pretty normal. Many people lose their jobs. People in here have probably lost a job and gotten another job. That happens. But that summer, we just didn't have the finances to take a vacation, and I was at the playground one day, and I distinctly remember two of my friends talking about where they were going to go on vacation. They turned to me and they said, where are you going to go? And instantly, I got a little bit afraid. And I lied. And then I hid for a week in the summer. Then I came back out. Didn't have a tan. I don't know what happened. (laughs) They never asked. But you know what was happening inside of there? It's normal to lose a job. It's normal to get another job. It's normal to be a little bit embarrassed about that. 
But what happened was Satan whispered to me, you are inferior unless you do exactly what they do. And he began to convince me of a false belief based upon just an unfortunate circumstance. My dad losing his job that day had nothing to do with my identity or worth, did it? It had nothing to do with his identity or worth. But Satan whispers to us in those events, in those moments, you should believe something that's not true, and it forms in us false beliefs, which bears out in insecurity. This is why Paul said we need to take every thought we have captive to obey Jesus Christ. Is what I'm thinking true? I should not automatically believe every thought I have because I lie to myself. So we need to bring those thoughts into the obedience of Christ. Okay, so insecurity comes from suffering, but it also, insecurity comes from our sin. So we suffer at the hands of people. We experience difficulties and challenges. Others sin against us. We have difficulties that take place in our life, and we develop insecurities because of that. But we also participate in this process. Our insecurity can also come from our sin. But you have to ask yourself, what is actually the sin of insecurity? What is it? Picture that person, right? Let's look again how it shows up. I've tried to draw a picture, so let's see if you can stay with me on this one. Let's take on one side, we've got the guy that's sad, right? And here's how his life is experienced. He's disappointed, maybe with his circumstances, maybe he's disappointed in himself. He's always a failure, he never does anything right. This is what he believes, okay? He's defensive, he's always sensitive, like he always believes people are attacking him and everything that happens just goes through the filter of like, why are you coming at me, you know? This person also is embarrassed a lot. Who they are is not enough, they're constantly feeling shame about that and he lives in a state of unworthiness, I'm not worthy. So this is how he lives, that's on one side of insecurity. The other side is this, we got joyful guy, right? He's got everything together and this guy looks like he's, got a, he's impressed with himself. You know, he looks in the mirror and he likes what he sees and he's happy about that. Um, he's defiant sometimes. Rules don't apply to him. He can go whatever way he wants to go. Um, he looks confident in his abilities and what he's able to do. And he is certain that he is invaluable. Both of these manifestations are insecurity. But what's the problem? On one side, we've got a guy experiencing what we would call self-hatred. Looks at himself doesn't like it right on the other side we got a guy who's going through self-love looks at himself and what loves it impressed with it what's the sin on this side this guy is experiencing despair on this side he's experiencing arrogance but you'll find the sin in the first word of the description above below their feet what is it what's the word what's the first word self self both guys are obsessed with themselves. One guy likes it, one guy doesn't. And when the Bible says when you are obsessed with yourself, what that's called is pride. Two sides, same coin. Being obsessed with yourself. Paul called this having confidence in the flesh, meaning I know that I'm worth something and I know that I'm valuable and I know who I am because of what I'm able to accomplish and what I'm able to do. That's a problem. And on one side, if you live that way, you might wake up one day and go, you know what? I'm not very good at things and I've made a lot of mistakes and people aren't impressed with me. And I experience on one hand 
self-hatred. I don't like what I see. But let's say you have a few breaks go your way. Maybe you won the genetic lottery and you're tall and handsome and strong and rich and all these things go for you and you experience this as self-love. But obsession with self, confidence in the flesh, will lead to either despair or arrogance. And the problem with that is pride. It looks like one guy is winning and one guy is losing, but the reality is both of these people are dying spiritually. So where do we get the relief? What's the answer? Our problem is... Our instinct is to solve insecurity by either avoiding our triggers or alleviating our pain. This is how humans typically try to uh, deal with insecurity. So if you go to, you know, HuffPost, People Magazine, whatever, and you look up, like, insecurity, and you read, you know, the blogs and the articles that are in modern-day magazines about dealing with insecurity, they'll tell you, basically, either reduce your exposure to the things that trigger you or... Find ways to alleviate the pain. You know, get people in your life that make you feel better about yourself. Do the things that make you feel better about yourself. Avoiding triggers might be like withdrawing from those things, hiding, protecting yourself. You'll know that you are avoiding triggers if you find yourself coming up with excuses why you don't engage with life. You just always have a reason not to engage even if you want to. Or you find yourself what doing this, constantly struggling to tell the truth. Because you know the truth will be uncomfortable, they may not like it, and if you're like that, you're just avoiding the trigger of somebody's displeasure. Or if you find yourself alleviating the pain, surrounding yourself with sympathizers, do you exclude people from your life that give you any sort of feedback that you don't like? Do you welcome people into your life that give you feedback? Or do you find yourself constantly critical of others? The only way I can lift myself up is to put other people down. Unfortunately, even people go all the way to the point of developing habits to numb the experience of the pain they feel in insecurity. That's really at the roots of what a lot of addictive behavior is. Okay? There's a better way. Now we go to Isaiah 53. Thank you for hearing me out. There is a better way, a third way. There's always a gospel way in this. Not just avoiding triggers or alleviating pain. But I want to show you someone who's experienced hardship in a way that you and I probably have not even understood. This prophetic text in Isaiah 53 is all about the suffering servant, the Messiah, the Savior who was going to come and deliver God's people. And he doesn't come like this conquering king or this mighty warrior, but the picture of this man that comes is actually kind of depressing. Listen to this in verse 1. He says, Who has believed what the, he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That means the salvation of God. Verse 2, Here is the Savior. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground, meaning he comes from nothing. He didn't come from wealth and privilege and status. He comes from nothing, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, meaning he wasn't tall, dark, and handsome. He wasn't good-looking. He had no discernible features that made people go, wow, look at that guy. He says in the end of verse 2, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. This Savior was a man of sorrows and acquainted with, with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not he's talking about jesus 
and you parallel this with the end of Jesus' life and you see people mocking him and ridiculing him and spitting on him, people deriding him constantly. He experienced all kinds of torture, all kinds of suffering, all kinds of hardship at the hands of people. And if there were anybody who could look at their life and say, man, I should be kind of insecure about who I am and what I'm worth because look how I'm treated in this world. It would be Jesus. And yet he was a survivor of that. And he wants you to see that. But here's the deal. Jesus is more than a survivor. He's actually our Savior. Well, how does that work? How does this story, how does this idea of Jesus actually save us from our insecurity? Let's go back to our two friends, okay? You see them there? Let me show you how this worked. Both of these people, whatever side of the coin you find yourself on, have to look at the cross of Jesus Christ to find their salvation out of insecurity. Let's start with the guy who hates himself, the guy on the right, okay? He's got to look at the cross. And when he looks at the cross, what is he going to see? Well, look at the text in verse 3 about Jesus he says in verse 4 pardon me surely Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows part of Jesus going to the cross was to take the suffering and the pain that we've experienced in this life and walk that to the cross for you part of relating to Jesus is learning how to turn over the burden of suffering to turn over this difficulty of guilt and shame to him saying I've been carrying this I've been trying to fix this for too long you went to the cross you experienced the shame and the ridicule that I deserved and you took that for me when that guy looks at the cross he sees a savior who bore his griefs and carried his sorrows and when the guy on the other side looks at the cross look what he sees Jesus was pierced for our transgressions And he was crushed for our iniquities. You see, no matter how great we think we might be, no matter how much we think we've accomplished in this world, no matter how much we think we've solved, Jesus still had to go to the cross for my iniquities and my transgressions. You cannot outperform or outrun your insecurities. That's why the hustle never stops. Have you ever noticed that? People that think they've got the world figured out, the hustle never stops because you can't outrun it. You can't outperform it. It's always there. You're constantly living in a performance mentality. And you've got to realize, Jesus says, listen, your, your, insecure, your um, transgressions, your iniquities, I paid the price for them. And when you look at his life, Jesus becomes the ultimate truth about who you are and what you're worth. In his life, you see that, yes, I am a sinner who who has not lived up to the expectation that God has given me in my life. That's true. He had to die for my sin. But I also learned that I am of infinite value because even though I was a sinner, he willingly chose to come for me. He bore my griefs and he carried my sorrows. He willingly was pierced for my transgressions and bruised for my iniquities. And when this comes together for you, when you get this, when you see, yes, I am worse than I could ever think of, but more unbelievably loved than I could ever hope for, when those come together for you, you develop what's called a humble confidence that you can stand on in your life. A heart that's full of gratitude and peace and joy because yes, it's true that I have made mistakes and sin. I have guilt and I have shame, but he has loved me through that and saves me from it. I'm free from that. Yes, that's true, but I can be humble and confident and secure in his love. That's why at the end of verse five, it says this. 
by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection is the ultimate truth about your identity and your worth. Yes, you are a sinner. That's true. You have failed. We have made mistakes. But he says you are worth coming to earth for. He says it was his joy to do this. But it's so much more than that because let me tell you this. Here, Get this last piece and we'll be done. Jesus did not come to earth to make you a more impressive version of yourself. He came to make you an accurate representation of him. Jesus did not come to earth just to make you feel better about yourself. He came to earth to help you forget about yourself. You see, here's what happens. Those guys that are standing at the top there with humility and confidence, they are not in self-hate or self-love anymore. You might say, well, what's the answer? Self-like, you know, just kind of somewhere in the middle. I get it. No, the answer is to come off of the spectrum of self altogether and forget about yourself. Those people that are standing on humility and confidence actually are liberated to love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind and serve the world around them, to care about people, to stop looking in the mirror and staring at what they see and look at others and serve and love and be there for people. That is fearless freedom. That is security. Not because of what you've done or not done, accomplished or not accomplished, but because of what Jesus has done. And now you're set free to go love and serve. But there's one little problem. If you read in our text in verse 6, it says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Everyone has gone his own way. In sin, as we've experienced insecurity and fear about who we are and what we're worth, we all have tried to solve that without Jesus. Even to the point, he says, of despising what Jesus has done for us. The only way back the only true way out of insecurity is in Jesus Christ where we lose ourselves and we find him. If you need to find your way back, all you got to do is look to Jesus. Start there. Let us help you understand who he is, how to be one with him, and how to find forgiveness and freedom. Let's stand and sing.